Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Chuck Lawless. I'm Caleb Iverson. We want to thank you again for listening to this episode of Pastor Matters. We're glad you're with us today. Listeners, we're excited for this episode. We have a special guest with us, Philip Kraus. Philip, would you mind introducing yourself real quick to the audience? Well, first, I want to thank you all so much for having me on, and I'm so grateful for the center and all the center does for pastors and aspiring pastors and encouraging us in the ministry. Uh, my name is Philip Kraus, and I live born and raised in King, North Carolina. I've got Four kids, been married for 18 years, a pastor in Germantown, North Carolina, little uh, normal-sized rural church, Germantown Baptist Church, and I'm also an adjunct professor in the Piedmont Divinity School at Carolina University in Winston-Salem. Nice. And you did your PhD, actually all of your, most of your studies at Southeastern, correct? I did. I finished my bachelor's here, went into the advanced MDiv, and then applied theology and PhD. Nice. Well, listeners, today we have Philip on to talk about his excellent book, Shepherds on Guard, Nine Areas of Life and Ministry that Pastors Must Shepherd. Philip, let me ask you, first of all, where is Germantown? Germantown is in uh, Stokes County, Forsyth County, right above Winston-Salem, North Carolina, small rural okay. for- farming community. Okay. Well, we are glad you're here. Uh, Shepherds on Guard, tell us, why did you write the book? What motivated you to Put this in print. It really started out in being able to be a youth pastor for 13 years at Germantown Baptist Church, and unfortunately, in one sense, being under many different pastors. Uh, one or two of those actually, I would say, disqualified from the ministry or having to step away from the ministry. And then as I was feeling the call of pastoral ministry on my life, attending Southeastern Seminary, I began asking these questions. What does it look like to stay faithful and effective to not make some of the pitfalls that I've seen in my own life that have affected my own ministry? And, and on top of that, God using Acts twenty twenty eight in my life, picturing that scenario where Paul's final words to these pastors is be on guard for yourselves, but also the flock that God has set you apart to ministry. He's entrusted them into your care. So take this serious, uh, be on guard for yourself and your ministry. And so I began thinking through these different areas of my own life and then also areas of church ministry where pastors need to guard. That's good. The, the subtitle is Nine Areas of Life and Ministry That Pastors Must Safeguard. Give us, just in one sentence, a a summary of this book. That as pastors, we need to both guard ourselves and the church. To let down either one of those sides is going to have a negative impact. If I'm not watching myself, ministry is going to suffer, even possibly be disqualified. If I'm not watching uh, my ministry, then, of course, I'm not being effective in living out my calling. So it's trying to push for a balanced understanding uh, that I don't feel like I was raised or encouraged really as a youth pastor to kind of see. It was all watch the church, preach the word, which are great and so important. But, you know, Philip, you also need to watch yourself because there are temptations you're going to face that you might not be aware of. 
That's good. I, I really want our listeners to hear that again. Actually, the book is divided into guard yourself and guard your flock. Yes, sir. Uh, listeners, hear that. We really do have to work on both of those. Yeah. And along those lines, I mean, Philip, like you were saying, in recent memory, we've seen brothers, we've seen leaders and other shepherds fall morally, disqualify themselves from ministry. Uh, so what are some practical ways that pastors—let's start with our holiness— pastors, we know that we're called to holiness. We know that we are examples to the flock in that matter. So what are some practical examples of ways pastors can think about guarding their holiness, and how can we be encouraged by the gospel and God's grace when we struggle and realize that we do fall short at the same time? Such such an important conversation uh, for all pastors, those who are in the limelight, those who are not. I think the most important, and it's going to be like, hey, we've, we've heard this a million times, but we have to stay in the Word. We have to guard our relationship with, with, uh, with Christ. We have to be in the Word because as soon as we begin to ne- neglect that, that's where I believe we're going to be bombarded by those temptations. We're not going to have the strength, the sword of the Spirit. We're, we're not going to be where we need to be in order to say no to temptation, to fight against uh, those temptations to, to give in uh, you know, a- as pastors. Another thing I see that worries me, and even in my own ministry, is when we begin to seclude ourselves. We're spending so much time by ourselves because we're working on sermons, we're writing, we're praying, and all of a sudden we see we no longer have any sort of accountability, someone that we can open up to, which leads to the question of when we fall. Well, if I'm secluded, my first reaction Mm -hmm. when I do fail is hide it. Yeah hide it from God, hide it from others, and that's ex- that's the complete opposite of what God's Word tells us to do. Mm-hmm. So if I'm neglecting God's Word, I've secluded myself, I'm no longer accountable, I'm setting myself up for a huge fall. Yeah, That's, that's right on target. Uh, there's so many folks that, that I've talked to uh, who know others who have fallen or who have fallen themselves, and a common theme is prior to their fall, they had neglected their their spiritual disciplines. Yes, uh, you don't feed yourself with the word; you are vulnerable to the enemy's attack. And if you isolate yourself, isolation is an automatic target for the for the enemy. So I appreciate those words. Uh, we also know, Philip, that uh, ministries ministries tough, and we've just come through uh, some years that have been tougher than others because of because of the pandemic. Sometimes it's easy to to burn out, to lose our joy. Uh, to struggle with uh, disappointments in ministry. Talk to us about how we guard against that. It, it has been a very trying time, and the more you get with pastors and you have the ability to talk to each other and open up about what the last three or four years have been like, even when things have been going really, really well, uh, you, you begin to hear people getting that, but this has happened, I'm really struggling with this. For me, it's been remembering why? What is ministry, and why am I in ministry? If if I fall into the trap of basing my joy on the success in ministry, which we want to see people saved, we want to see lives transformed, we want to see spiritual growth, we want to see numerical growth, we want to see our communities change. But when I begin to base my joy on how I can bring that about, hmm. as soon as I don't begin to see the fruit that I'm craving, or 
I begin to see fruit in other places and other pastors and other churches. I'm on social media too much rather than in the word, then I'm going to find my joy suffering and it's going to be hard to regain that. I've got to remember what is ministry, what's being faithful to the calling, using the gifts that God has given me. As uh, Brother Mark Clifton reminded us this year's North Carolina Pastors Conference, pastor the church you're at, not the pastor the church you want to be at. And that Mm. has just stuck with me because what a practical way to think about guarding your joy. The the Lord has blessed me with this ministry. I'm going to give it my all using the gifts, trusting in the Spirit and and the Spirit's power rather than always looking elsewhere for where I wish I would be. You know, I think this is this is even tougher in our culture now because it is so easy to compare ourselves to uh, pastors and churches that are we just hop online mm. and hear their sermons. We hop online and see their churches. Uh, we just uh, look around and we can see so many other things now and other options now that I do think the enemy directs us to to what we're missing. Mm-hmm. Is is the enemy who who tries to get Adam and Eve or turns their attention to the to a tree they can't have in the garden hasn't changed. The enemy says, "Look at what's out there. Go go get it." So I, I appreciate that word to pastors. Pastor where you are and find joy in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me think a lot of John 15 as well. I always just go back. It's striking that Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be That's in good. you and your joy may be That's complete. Mm-hmm. So yes. that going back to that personal relationship with Christ. Um, well, P- Philip, a lot of times pastors struggle with, you know, there's many demands, many responsibilities on their plate. So there's time management, there's sermon preparation, there's meeting with members, addressing many things going on in the church. And sometimes the temptation is to fall into two different camps. Often it's it's easy to put too much on your plate and feel overwhelmed, or to not be structured enough with our time and just kind of come as, as things are happening. You just feel like you're constantly responding to the next thing. So what would you say to pastors as they're thinking about their time? You mentioned in the book it's important that we must guard our time as well. Yes, there, there are those two different traps on both sides, laziness or you know not using your time well to carry out all the demands of ministry. Uh, then you also have the overworking, which we see a lot uh, or hear when we talk to other pastors. My own experience in pastoring a normal-sized church in Germantown, I am currently the only pastor. Mm-hmm. So this is a battle because in one sense, because of gifting, because of calling, because of training, there are probably a lot of things that I may have more experience or the ability to do well compared to other people. But that is not ministry. I have had to learn how to become a better delegator, equipper. That's mm-hmm. what Paul uh, you know, encourages us in the book of uh, Ephesians, you know, to, to equip those for ministry. And so that is going to help me guard both ways. I'm going to be using a lot of time spending with others, discipling, carrying that out, while at the same time preventing myself, hopefully, from burning out because I'm able to work with others, equip them, encourage them in the ministry and say, hey, use your gifts, cut them loose to go into ministry and, and to do those things. Another very simple one, and this, it hurts me to say this because I'm not naturally wired like this, but keeping a schedule. Hmm. The more I keep mm-hmm. even the most basic schedule on my phone, keeping on that way, I don't get to Friday and all of a sudden I realize there's seven things that I really need to do. I need to visit these three uh, shut-ins from my church. I need to f- finish this email. I all of a sudden, why? Because I've not done a good job of remembering 
some of the things, and usually those are the things we probably don't want to do. Mm. If we naturally love studying, preparing, preparing sermons, you ain't got to keep us from that. We're going to be in our study hours and hours and hours. It might be those things that we don't naturally feel gifted towards, member care, leadership, discipleship that we end up neglecting by not keeping even the most basic schedule and kind of sticking to a timeline. Things creep up funerals, unexpected funerals, and then you find yourself stressed out at the end of the weekend. You're having to cut time with your family. There's so many little practical things when we're not guarding our time well that can negatively affect ourselves, our family life, and our ministry. Southeastern exists to help people like you serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission in all of life. Are you interested in learning more about what Southeastern has to offer? Join us for Preview Day, where you will meet professors and current students, tour our beautiful campus, and experience what it could look like for you to prepare for ministry in our Great Commission community. To learn more and register, check out sebts.edu visit. Hey, Philip, let's go back to the, the issue of delegation. So, uh, you're, you're right on target. I think Ephesians 4 demands that we are, we are equipping others for the, for the work of ministry, but it's not easy. So practically, how have you learned how to do that, to delegate responsibilities to others? I first had a mentor that, as both an interim pastor and then a good friend, kind of modeled that for me. He didn't wait for me as an immature 21-year-old youth pastor to come to him, which I should have been doing. Like, please help me, teach me how to do this. He approached me, and he taught me this This is why this is important. This is what you should be doing. Even as a 21-year-old youth minister, you should be raising up volunteers and, and learning to delegate. So I was able to watch a man, a godly man with many years of experience, show me how to do that. But it has to become... I have to see it in light of this is in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is for us to to go and to make disciples. That's for pastors. That's for members. So if I'm not doing that, uh, how am I? How can I expect members of my church? And if I'm not pursuing others and saying, "Hey, I would love to to work with you and pray with you and and and, and disciple you, so that you can then go and do the same thing," then it's going to be tough to find that traction in the church if I'm not doing that myself. So what do you do? You you attempt to equip somebody, and he doesn't do the job quite like you would like it, or not as well as you do, or not as quickly as you might. That's uh, that is hard when we're dealing with pride, uh, when we are thinking in the wrong lens. I believe of what ministry is really about, because we're thinking, well, that sermon wasn't as good as mine, therefore. Mine would have made a greater impact Hmm. when in reality, by God's grace, he can use that just as powerfully as he would me. So I I think it's learning to keep the big picture in mind. The more I try to hoard everything because I may be able to do it a little bit better, then I'm not only allowing people, I'm keeping people on the sidelines. I'm not helping them sharpen their gifts. I'm also going to be very discouraging. Like, why should we even attempt to do this? Let's just let Pastor Philip do it rather than, I guarantee Philip would love for me to do this. Let me go talk with him and, and, and go run with it. Uh, that's, that's really helpful. In fact, I think sometimes because we as pastors think we have to do everything, 
some of that because of the nature of what we're doing. We're, we're dealing with eternal issues. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tough to turn things over. But I, I think the other side of that is, Philip and, and Caleb, that I think we, we move over into workaholism, yes. which for me fundamentally is idolatry. Because the assumption of workaholism is if I'm not involved, then it's not going to be as good as it could be. And so I really elevate myself above even the equipping of others. So I appreciate that word in your in your book. Well, let's move into let's move into an area that we know we have to think about. All of us know this as pastors. That is that we are to we're to manage our households well uh, with our spouse, our children, and yet yet even pastors' marriages fall apart. So tell us how do we guard against that? The first is I need to make sure that I don't always, this is from my own experience, I'm not always bringing church home with me, always talking about it. Like my wife, we're sitting down for a family dinner. Great, Philip's going to be talking about church stuff. Because that is, that's a temptation at times. If, if, if from 8 to 5 o'clock or even different hours, we are constantly thinking about discipleship, community, our sermon, it's, it's tough to cut that off at times and to show our family the attention they deserve and they really need from us. So for me, the most important thing that I try to remind myself of every day is you know value my family in such a way that I give them my full time, full attention. My phone's cut off as much as possible when, when I'm spending time with them. Uh, they... They know they have my attention, that they are valued, that they are not just another part of ministry that I'll try to fit in, but mm. they are my ministry. I, I, in the chapter that I write about guarding your family, chapter five, that whole chapter came to be from a book by Brian Croft, where he said, what if at the end of our days, God judged us as as ministers based on how we loved our family and not just on how successful our ministry was. And it just hit me because it was a time where I was not as diligent as I should in guarding my family. I was going everywhere doing all these things and they were suffering. And that I remembered God used that very quickly to say, if your family falls apart, then mm. your ministry is going to. Mm. You're not being faithful, Philip. And it, it reminds me of one of, the, one of those days in my life when... God just uses your spouse to say something to you that mm. uh, is right on target but painful to hear. Uh, it was a it was a point where I was just really busy. Caleb knows this. I'm really busy anyway. Yeah, <laughs> um, just in general. But it was really busy, and Pam, who is as loving and as kind and as gentle as they come, uh, very quietly said, "Sometimes I feel like I need to call your assistant and get on your calendar." Wow. Uh, and guys, I don't know what you do with that except except repent. Uh, and so, uh, when that's where we've led ourselves, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, and so, I, I'm glad you included this this chapter. Some of these things in your book, as as you know, these are things that we already know. Yes. But we get so busy that we might teach the same things to other people while we're not doing them ourselves. So this book is a reminder, a necessary reminder to us. So I appreciate that. You know, and it's interesting just to see how all of these are kind of intertwined. Even when you think about guarding yourself, when you stop managing your time well, it affects your family, it affects your yes. ministry and all those things. So kind of with that, with the responsibility of caring for our congregation and our families, there's also a temptation to 
neglect and not care for ourselves. We can, you know, focus all our energy on pouring out, but we're not taking the time to reflect, spend time with the Lord, to to eat well, to think about exercise. So what are some maybe warning signs that you've noticed in pastors, maybe in your own life? And what would you say to pastors, how they can think about practically guarding their own health? Yeah, one of the main warning signs I feel in my own life I've seen is losing that joy. Hmm. It's it's an automatic, it begins like a warning light coming on your car. Hmm. Okay, what does that mean? What are the next steps? And so when I'm overly grumpy, when I'm not patient, all of a sudden I begin, I need, these are a warning sign. I need to to back up and see what's going on. And and often I've, in my ministry, it's it could possibly be one of these these aspects of my health, I use a very simple illustration. It's it's a table, and if I think of my health as four legged table with my emotional, uh, mental health, and social health, physical health, and spiritual health, if any of those are off, it's going to eventually affect all of them. Mm. We we are it's it's grinded into us. It's you know it's it's our foundation to think about our spiritual health. I've got to be spiritually healthy, and we must be spiritually healthy. But if I'm not taking care of my body, how long am I going to be able to sustain ministry and continue balancing things? If I'm not taking care of the social aspect uh, where I have healthy relationships that hold me accountable, but also where that are encouraging me, how long am I going to be able to guard everything else? And then even mentally, we're, we're hearing so much and learning so much about mental and emotional health. And I believe that God is really trying to get maybe some of our attention in ministry when it out coming out of COVID and a lot of other things have happened, like pay attention to your mental and emotional health, because if not, it will sideline you. It's just a matter of time where you say, I, I need a break. Mm-hmm. I, I need a forced sabbatical, or even it's not worth it anymore. And and maybe there were clear warning signs all along where if we just would have paused and taken that time uh, rested, maybe that would have prevented us from having to step away from a whole year just because of something that we thought of, I'll just push through it. You, we, we can't push through, but for so long. Mm. The the Pastor Center, uh, Philip, is doing monthly mentorship lunches, and our theme this semester is the personal life of the pastor. Yes. And that's really where we focus this this podcast, intentionally so. Let me just say to our listeners, if you're within driving distance of Southeastern Seminary, and you as pastors and some of your interns want to come to the, the mentoring lunches, just let us know. Contact us uh, at Southeastern, and we'd love to talk to you. But, Philip, the last part of your book is about guarding the, the flock. And so just give us a summary of those final chapters uh, for our listeners. First is an overall look at the admonition we find in Acts twenty twenty eight. What does it mean for us to guard the flock? If, if God has appointed me to entrusted a, a congregation into my care. What does it look like using my skills uh, and gifts and talents alongside other saints to actually care for the flock? And I believe the the shepherding metaphor is there for a reason throughout the Bible. It's such it's such a, a well rounded. When you think about what goes into a sh- for a shepherd to care for his flock well, he has to make sure they're fed. He has to make sure they're watered. He has to make sure they rest. He has to know them. Mm-hmm. He has to guard them against uh, predators. He has to, when they fall sick or, or injured, take care of them. 
and that's pastoral ministry. It's mm. not just mm. preaching or just member care. It's thinking of it as the Bible describes it, this full ministry. And for us to, to care for a flock well, we have to not only preach the word well, teach the truth, apply the gospel, explain the gospel regularly, but we have to be willing to counsel, walk alongside our people, encourage, warn all of those things. We have to uh, guard the mission of the church in a normal-sized rural church in in North Carolina, there is a lot of temptation at times, at least at Germantown Baptist, to to wrestle with traditionalism. Mm -hmm. We've always Mm -hmm. done it this way, therefore we must, rather than looking at traditions, and these are good things. And so one of the main things I try to do as a pastor is to guard that mission. In, in my sermons, we're praying about the mission of God, God's mission to us in salvation and our uh, being saved in order to, to join his mission, uh, praying about mission, connecting people so we can pray and give and go to mission. I have to guard the mission so that we don't spend mm. 99% of our time just maintaining or inward focus. We need to be outward focused too. And, and then, uh, you know, guarding the doctrine, making mm. sure the gospel is not just, you know, step one, uh, of salvation, and then it's up to you to to make use of your life and live your life. Uh, no, we need to, in our preaching, in our teaching, in our discipleship, in everything we're doing, making sure the gospel of Jesus Christ is front and center. Uh, yeah. And that falls to the, the pastor to guard the flock in that way. So the final three chapters are guard the flock, guard the doctrine, and guard the guard the mission. The book, listeners, again, is Shepherds on Guard, Nine Areas of Life and Ministry that Pastors Must Safeguard. The author is Philip Krauss, Jr. Uh, Philip, thank you for joining us for this Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Listeners, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give. Dr. Lawless mentioned our mentorship lunches. If you're interested in that, send us an email at pastorcenter at sebits.edu, or you can go to our website and click on our events page. That's pastorcenter.org. As always, it's our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope that we've done that with today's conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.